feedback. All right. Um, I, my wife has especially sensitive ears, and I'm seeing her cringing, which is exactly what you want to see when you're just getting ready to preach. It's <laughs> people cringing. Um, I would also love being called Mr. Knowles. I'm a school principal, and so there are times when people are like, oh, it's Mr. Knowles. Like, I'm Chris. Yeah, it's, it's good to be with everybody. Uh, we, get, we get the privilege this morning of looking at Proverbs chapter 4, and so if you would join me. Um, and going ahead and turning there. And just as a reminder for us, this is our second week that we're going to be in Proverbs, and Ernie introduced us uh, to this last week, and it's really important as we dive into, over the next few weeks, uh, a, a lot of specific teachings from Proverbs that we have context and understanding of really what Proverbs is. In particular, I want to put out there that it is possible to read Proverbs in such a way where we can be disheartened because there is such an abundance of commands that are there. And it's like, well, you know, if you're righteous, you're doing right, this is what you're going to be doing. Right? Proverbs is not intended to be a book that is filled with universalized promises, which is to say, it is not the same as many of the promises that we see throughout Scripture, things that are true at all times in all places. God is forever good. His gospel is completely true and yet in Proverbs, we see that a lot of times what happens is that there's a sense in which we're being told this is how life works. These are principles that govern the way that we think and the way that we live. They're not the same as these universal promises that we see throughout Scripture, and they are nonetheless true. They are in the goodness of God that we are told um, lots of things about what it looks to live wisely. Right. That question of what it means to live wisely is a question where we, we have to step back and to recognize it's not always black and white. We don't always have a black and white answer for every situation. The Bible does not speak to every specific in our lives, but gives us principles, gives us the ability to step back and to consider uh, the nature of who God is and what he has done for us. So in the kindness of God, he has given us a, a lot to consider um, and this morning, as I mentioned, we're diving into Proverbs 4 in particular. Uh, Proverbs is, is split up in an interesting way. We've got your, your first nine or so chapters that are, are set up where you do have themes that connect. You have these uh, discourses that connect to the same thing. And then we get to chapter 10 through chapter 29. You really have this series of small phrases. And so what you hear in future weeks is they'll be jumping around in, in different chapters um, to connect to themes throughout a wide range of, of parts of Proverbs. But this morning, we're just in chapter 4. Uh, and I want to give a little bit of, of context here in particular. This is, if you see uh, at the top of your, your section, some of you might have this heading of a father's wise instruction. There are a lot of Proverbs that are written in different ways and with different structures. And much of this proverb is set up in such a way where it is a father speaking to, at the beginning of chapter 4, it says his sons, um, but then later on it's addressed singularly to a son. This, of course, is not to say that this is only for males, either the wisdom that is there or to whom it is directed, but the structure of Proverbs is set up in such a way um, where this is a familial sort of wisdom. And there's a beauty to this appeal that is made here. In particular, this appeal that it is not something that is abstract. It's not just, hey, this is a random set of instructions I want to give you. This is out of the love of a father to a son. And I think we, by extension, can also take what we're about to read to be from the love of the father. About to read some rules, some guidance, some wisdom, and they're here for the good of us, the good of God's people. So chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10, a little bit of context on, on uh, verses 1 through 9, 
you basically have these appeals throughout chapter 4. And these appeals are set up in such a way where it's a father pleading with his son, listen, listen to my words, therefore you're good, I promise you. Right? Those of you who are parents, you probably are accustomed to making appeals to your children like, seriously, you don't get it, but I'm telling you, this is for your good. Like, I've probably said that about six times today already to my two precious children. And, like, the reality is, like, a lot of times we have to make this appeal and say, no, this is really for your good. Believe me. And so we see in chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, um, that there is this appeal to basically say, I learned this, the author is saying, from my father. Now, I, as your father, am going to pass this along as well. Do what is right. Don't forsake wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Get wisdom. There's just clear appeal there. And we're going to pick it up starting in, in verse 10. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. So Proverbs 4, verse 10 through verse 27. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. We see to begin this section of Proverbs 4 that there is again another appeal of a father to a son saying, hear my words, listen to what I have to say. Why is that, right? You have this earnest appeal again. I think we have to see this as an expression of love, knowing that what we're to hear is something that is for our good. We see back in verse 10, Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Again, we get to the sense in which if we take Proverbs 3, a promise, it means like, well, if I, if I do what this says, that means I'm going to have a long life. Is that what it's saying? Like, No. On the one hand, that's not what it's saying. On the other hand, that if we follow the ways of wisdom, that oftentimes there would be rich and abundant life. It's not saying that would always be the case. But often it would. Verse 11, I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. That there is something to be said about how life works, that when you follow the path of wisdom, that when you follow God's commands, 
that there are good things that will often happen. Right? We keep going in verse 12, or verse 13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. And there we get some interesting language, that we have this whole language of a path throughout this section. This happens all throughout Scripture. You get the sense of life is like walking. It's step after step after step. It's not often just that you are running through life, but you're taking small step after small step. And here, you've a little departing from this way of, of walking, and we're told to guard something, protect something. And this language is used multiple times in Proverbs 4. Now, what are the kind of things that you guard? You don't guard something that's not valuable, right? You don't guard something that is just trash, it's not worth your efforts, right? You guard something that's of immense value. There's a sense of protection that you have. And what is it in verse 13 that we're told, keep hold of instruction, do not let go, guard her, for she, this instruction, this wisdom, is your life. And then we have the contrast, right, of the wicked. So there's this way of the upright, of the righteous, this way that God has laid out. And then in contrast to that, you have this way of the wicked. And this is not just a half-hearted, hey, we all mess up kind of thing. Look at the language that's here in verse 16. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. This is not a sort of evil that is an an accidental mistake, but a sort of heart-level evil, right, where you're not at rest unless you've done wrong. And what's the contrast to that that we hear What's at this contrast, if you can't go to sleep unless you've done wrong, is that if you are pursuing the way of righteousness, that you've got light and life, which shines brighter and brighter until full day, in contrast with this way of darkness that that we're we're shown here. There's a real sense in which there's there's no shortage of a clear contrast, right? There's one way that's good, and there's another way that is bad. So what do we do with this? Verse 20, we see again another appeal on focus, on the words that the author is saying, right? That incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Not only is there a sense in which we're being told, walk in wisdom, but also, not just walk in wisdom, but getting to verse 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Protect your heart. Other translations, ones that often can ring in our head, guard your heart. If you're like me, you hear guard your heart and you might have a vision of like, okay, we're talking to a group of teenagers and saying, don't let your emotions go up and down. Right, don't give away your heart. There's something there, right? Like we know guard your heart can mean that we're protecting ourselves emotionally a little bit. I want to suggest this morning that we're being called to something that's much more than just sort of protecting ourselves from emotional ups and downs in the sense of keeping or guarding our heart. So we're going to pause for a minute on the sense of what it looks like to keep your heart with all vigilance. Other translations, again, would say, above all else, guard your heart. 
There's, there are times when familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, and we think about this language of, of the heart, right? Everything about songs that have to do with love, and what is the heart? Well, it's this kind of place of emotions. We speak about the heart in that way, right? That we've got this sense of dualism. It's like you've got your head, this is where you think your thoughts, and you've got your heart, and that's where you can feel your emotions. But the reality is the heart here is something that is much deeper, and when you see this throughout Scripture, the heart is not just a place where we feel emotions, but it is the seat of our convictions. It is the core of who we are. It is fundamentally the things that we value most in the world. So when we're told, again, to guard something, it should make us pause and to step back and to think about this reality. There is a, we're being told to guard, protect, take care of your hearts. Take care of the things that you value most highly things that we are ultimately going to see that matter most to us. So it's fitting for us in a real sense to recognize that, that what is behind our hearts is oftentimes a bit of a mystery. I can't speak again. I think about what it's like to ask my kids, like, why did you do that? Like, well, I don't really know most of the time. But let's be real. If this is us and we're being asked, why do we do something? There are times we grow in sort of self-knowledge and we might know what's behind it. But the heart, fundamentally, what is driving us is oftentimes even a point of confusion. And so here there's this clear mandate. Protect it. Keep it with all vigilance. Why? For from it flows springs of life. What does that mean? Right, if you know a spring that comes from underground and where it flows, if what's in that spring is dirty and polluted, what's downstream, of course, is going to be what? Dirty and polluted. Right, it's not going to clean itself up. So the heart is seen as this source, ultimately, of good or of evil. We see this in so many different places throughout Scripture, just as a couple of points of reference, um, e even as it relates to the sort of confusing nature of the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks so it's clear to us, and this is so many other places throughout Scripture, that this is not just about behavior. And it's possible to read Proverbs in such a way where we become behavioralists and we just think, well, I'm just going to do better. Right? It's true, Proverbs talks about a lot of behaviors, a lot of activities, a lot of things that can or should be done. Deal with your finances in this way. Avoid these sort of things. Walk in this way. Do all these things. But the reality that all of us have to confront at one point or another is we will not completely do all those things. So yes, let's walk in it, let's strive, let's fight, and then recognize you will not do that perfectly. And so we can be grateful to God that we have that this is not the full story, right? Even that connection to connect with our hearts and say we need to protect it. We will not fully protect our hearts. So what do we do with that? 
What do we do with this command to keep your heart with all vigilance? We see there's a connection from that, even if you look at 24, 25, and onward. Put away crooked speech. So this connection between speech and the heart. Look at 26, let your eye, 25, look your eyes, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. What are you looking at? What are you spending your time considering? 26, ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. So you have this imagery of your eyes and your mouth and the speech that you have, your feet, the paths that you walk on, that they stem from the heart. But if you were like me, you look at this at times and say, well, it's good to fight. Let's walk in wisdom. Yes, let's protect our hearts. But then what? What do you do when you do actually stumble? What do you do when you have not fully guarded your heart? What do you do when you walk a path that you know is not ultimately for your good? That's ultimately a question here where I think we do well to consider what it is that we're called to throughout the entirety of Scripture, which is that we're appointed for the person and the work of Christ. So yes, let's fight to walk in wisdom. Yes, let's fight to guard our hearts. And let's fix our gaze upon Christ. Because there is no way that you or I, just by mere effort, are going to be able to step back and to ultimately change our own hearts. You can't do it. How do we go about that? Right? It's worth considering to begin, what are the things that occupy our minds? There are a lot of ways that we can go about considering that. Right? One of the ways would be just thinking about, like, what, where's, your, where's your energy? Right? What, what things motivate you? What things drive you? What things make us angry or frustrate us? We were reading a book last night and, uh, about daddies, and my four-year-old made the, uh, the statement, one of the things, the daddies, of course, in this book are all super nice, and they're perfect, and they're super dads. And uh, Avery said something like, yeah, those daddies don't ever get mad. I was like, well, I mean, well, you know, because you get mad, dada. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, that's good. That's exactly like what I want is like, I want to read, the, I'm never reading this book again about like the perfect dads who never get angry. Good for you all. I'm so happy. Um, we're going to mess up, right? We'll have plenty of opportunities to repent to God and to other people. So what do we do when that happens? What does it mean, for instance, if we look at letting your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you? I want to suggest that for those of us uh, who are in here knowing what we do about Jesus, that means that our eyes are fixed on a path that leads toward him. Because true wisdom is found in Christ. Heart change cannot be done just by effort, but through ultimately looking and seeing that God has provided for us in the person of Christ. The kind of relationship that is spoken of with God and Proverbs is only able to be done and achieved through Christ and through faith in him. Can't do it just by your own effort. There's a guy named Thomas Chalmers who wrote in the 18th and 19th centuries, and he said this, said, a moralist will be unsuccessful in trying to displace his love of the world by reviewing all the ills of the world. Misplaced affections need to be replaced by the far greater power of the affection of the gospel. So 
authored a book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, which is a fancy way of saying, unless we see that there's something more appealing than sin, we're going to keep going toward that sin. Unless you see that this way that leads toward wisdom, this way that leads to Christ is more appealing than the sin that we're wrestling with, our hearts will remain inclined toward that sin. Unless we believe that there actually is more pleasure, more joy to be found in looking toward Christ, then sin will remain equally appealing. This is the reality that we have to wrestle with, the reality that we have to fix our gaze on Jesus and function in such a way that says our heart can only be changed by him. Heart can only be changed by looking at who he is, at what he's done on our behalf. Plenty of places to look for in this. In John 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 1 Corinthians 1, that we look at that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption and plenty of places where we can step back and to consider the nature of who God is and what he's done on our behalf. There's a clear appeal here, and it's a beautiful thing on some level, right? It says, walk in the way of wisdom. Do these things. But that stems from where our heart is. It stems from the things that value most. So I want us to take a moment to consider today, and what are those things that we value most? List off a dozen things that for any of us would be up there, right? Say it's money. And the pursuit of money. It's not bad to want to earn money. When we pursue money, which can be an inherent good, as an ultimate thing, it will destroy us. Right? If money becomes ultimate, then you forget about all things in the pursuit of financial gain. Say it's prestige. Say what's really flowing from our heart is the sense of we want a sense of power. We want to be known as something or someone. Want to be in a position of authority. Ultimately, if that is our primary aim, if that is the thing that our heart longs for, that'll destroy us. That becomes our idol, becomes the thing that we treasure most. Say it's image. We want to look a certain way. I told students of mine, there was a, about a year of my life uh, when I was very bothered by the fact that I was going bald. And I would see these commercials that we know are absolutely ridiculous. And I'd be like, here's this really sad man. And it's in black and white. He doesn't have any hair. Isn't his life horrible? We all feel terrible for him because he can't be happy because he has no hair. But look at this product that gives him hair and happiness and life and joy. And it's now in color. And there's this beautiful woman on his side. And all things hinge from hair which we know is ridiculous, and yet on some level, I bought into that for a while. I can joke with my students about it now, and they're like, yeah, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was like, can, can I be loved if I don't have a full head of hair? Like, I, I knew in my head, it's ridiculous. yeah, I'm, I got you. Um, I, I see all you men without hair, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. 
Yes, we can be loved without hair. It's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's good. It's my primary point today that Proverbs is pointing us to is that we can be loved without hair. Um, well, why do I bring that up? The sense of valuing image, right? We are absolutely central as a society on images, and you're being thrown, whether it's something ridiculous like you've got to have a lot of hair to be happy, you've got to be a certain weight to be happy, you've got to look in a certain way to be happy, you've got to speak in a certain way to be happy, your heart is inclined toward these things that society or culture could be feeding you. It says your joy is going to come from this image, your joy will come from having this much money, your joy will come from being in a position where you think you have achieved whatever temporal thing is going to give you some sort of lasting satisfaction. And we're here to be reminded that keeping our heart with vigilance, that guarding our heart and walking in the way of wisdom says, no, we're going to actively fight against those things. We can call those things a lie. We can call the barrage of images that are thrown our way that says, do this, look like this, you will be happy. What happens if that's the stream that's flowing out of our hearts is that there's destruction, there's wickedness, this path that we see here. And yet again, we can't change our own hearts. So what's our encouragement for this morning? Our encouragement is to fix our gaze on Jesus and on what he did, what he did on our behalf. That he came, he lived a perfect life, he died in our place. And as true wisdom, we are able ultimately to experience him through faith. He was resurrected, that he conquered death, that neither you nor I has the capacity to do the things that he said and did. So Proverbs can at times be a tough read because we see all these things to do. And yes, we are to fight to pursue wisdom, to walk on the path of wisdom. Yes, we are to guard our hearts and to be ferocious in what we are doing and to keep ourselves from evil. Let's work hard toward that end. But when we don't do that with perfection, when we don't fully guard our hearts, we can be reminded that God is good and he is kind. John Flavel there's another old guy, because I like reading people who have not been around for a long time, said this. Remember that this God in whose hand are all creatures is your father and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. Which is to say that we oftentimes are inclined in a direction of beating up on ourselves, of seeing the things that we have not done, seeing ways in which we have not walked the path. That's where you are. Be reminded this morning that we have a God who's kind, who's good, who's a father to all those who've come to him in faith. And that we can go with confidence in recognizing that he, as true wisdom, has lived perfectly. He has walked this path. He embodies this path of wisdom. And he himself can change our hearts and put us in a position where we can ultimately see and value God above all things. So let's walk this path. Let's fight to guard our hearts. Let's fix our gaze on Jesus. I want to read a prayer as we end. 
prior to going into uh, to communion. And this prayer really is a reflection uh, by a guy named Scotty Smith on what it looks like to guard our hearts. So would you pray with me? Gracious Father, how I long for the day when I will no longer be temptable, deceivable, or capable of worshiping any other God but you. I so look forward to an eternity of giving you the adoration, affection, attention, and allegiance of which you alone are worthy. No one redeems us like you. No one understands us like you. No one loves us like you do. No one cares for us like you do. Every other God is simply a wannabe God, a demigod, a semi-god. Only you are God. Only you are as generous as the gospel reveals you to be. In Jesus, you've already given us a new heart and have placed your spirit inside us. In Jesus, you've turned our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. In Jesus, you've already given us a heart to know and love you. In Jesus, you've already written your law upon our hearts. Indeed, Father, you've already given me a perfectly forgiven heart, yet it is far from being a fully perfected heart. The battle for my heart's worship continues daily and relentlessly. Do not let me forget that this conflict will persist until the day Jesus returns to finish making all things new. Thus the warning to keep myself from idols isn't going away soon. The need to guard, feed, and refresh my heart will stay as current as sunrise and sunset. Father, there are some idols I run from like the plague, but others I don't even recognize as idols. Help me to know when I've made a good thing an ultimate thing. But I don't think you are enough. Where do I take the tr- when I take the trust and worship you deserve? By your grace, help me to see and dethrone these rivals by a greater preoccupation with Jesus. I praise you for the assurance that I am one of the dear children that John writes about. That you cannot love me more than you already do and you will never love me less. Truly this gospel will win the day in my heart, in the entire cosmos. Father, we are grateful for who you are. We're grateful for the opportunity not just to have an exhortation and encouragement, admonition to push us toward walking in the way of wisdom, but that ultimately our hope is not found in perfectly following your commands. So let our hearts be inclined toward you, Jesus. That we can come to you with confidence. That you've walked the path for us. That we can walk it because of what you've done on our behalf. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Now we as